0: media.
1: Hello and welcome to the Offside Rule WSL edition. It's Kate Borsay and Lindsay Hooper here. And on the agenda today, Nick Cushing goes out on a high as Manchester City get the better of Arsenal to strengthen their position at the top of the league. Chelsea put eight, yes, eight, (laughs) past West Ham as Emma Hayes side build
2: momentum in the league and the Cup. And the weather wreaks havoc again as games up and down the leagues are postponed due to waterlogged pitches.
1: Well, joining us on today's show, welcome back to our very favourite doctor in football. It's Dr. Carrie Dunn, author of Pride of the Lionesses, sports journalist and all-round football boffin, Welcome along, Carrie. Thank you very much. Hello. Not just favourite doctor of football, favourite doctor. Favourite doctor. Yeah. Are we going to get diagnosed for something on today's show by Carrie? <laughs> <laughs> What are you complaining of? I don't know. Well, we've got a few. We've got a few complaints, I'm afraid. I might want to complain about a little bit of depression because we're just going to start this show off with a bit of an announcement. Um, I haven't got any bells or anything to bring this in, but it is the sad news that um, we are going to be putting this WSL podcast on. On hold for the moment, we'd love nothing more, Lindsay, than to keep it going. But unfortunately, it's not sustainable because we've not been able to get any financial backing to keep it a professional production. Yeah, we have approached over 100 brands,
2: Carrie. So you are going to be the final guest on the show for now we will hopefully freeze it and be able to bring it back this is episode number 23 and we really hope that you've enjoyed them and to all of you that we know that there's regular listeners who listen week in week out and, and really have been the main reason behind why we wanted to do this yeah but I'm afraid to say, yeah, it is going to have to go on hold for now because it needs to be given the same production values as we give the
1: men's football that yeah. we cover, and we can't do that. And we need to thank Muddy Knees Media, too, who've been supporting it up to this point, completely without any commercial backing. You know, Lindsay and I are massively proud. We've followed the game since the Euros in 2009, mm. and we absolutely love what's happened to women's football. We had a great World Cup, and we're, we're just upset because... I think, Lynn there's a bit of a disconnect, isn't there, between what brands and what backers say they want to do or say say that they're backing us. We've had a few tweets in from people saying we kind of back you the whole way. But then when it comes to actually, would you mind talking to us about perhaps sponsoring the podcast, getting your name on it on a weekly basis and sort of helping us to grow it and helping us to grow the game? It actually hasn't happened. so. We're really sorry, guys. We're really upset. And thank you to all our brilliant, brilliant listeners who we enjoy engaging with, not just about the podcast, but on a whole load of different things. And I know, know, Carrie, this will be surprising news, but perhaps not shocking news for you, because you, like us, have been involved with Women's Game for a long time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. But I guess... I don't know. I think I would flag up maybe slight light at the end of the tunnel. If you recall during the World Cup last year, there was a very big brand who were trying to get traction on social media around the Women's World Cup and they were tweeting Chelsea and Emma Hayes saying, can we ask for a retweet? Because we should have a lioness emoji, not just a lion emoji. And Emma Hayes doing an Emma Hayes thing, replied and said, if you want to support women's football, put your hand in your pocket and sponsor us. <laughs> and in the past couple of weeks, that company has put a ha- their hand in their pocket and they have started to sponsor Chelsea. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. the money is there. And I think it just, yes, these are uh, fine words that many companies pay to women's football, talking about how great it is that then there's media coverage, Then they need to also put their yeah. hands in the pocket and back it. What we need to do
2: as well is not just get people coming on board for the majors, you know, when oh, you've absolutely. got a World Cup and yeah. Euros and Olympics, it's this domestic league that really needs the backing, and that is where all your future stars come from. And the content around the football that you see on the pitch is as important, because that message and that content that gets distributed is going to be what engages people and brings new people on board, so I think think there's definitely something there, something that someone could maybe follow up with us on. But for now, we're going to get into talking for this final podcast about women's football and the domestic uh, game, which has had quite a lot happening this week.
3: City on their own patch and with extra motivation, but Arsenal... what a crunch game this is for them in the title race, too. It really is set up to be a fascinating and hopefully thrilling game of football. From Weir, all the way through, and it's loose. Real chance here for City, who take the lead. Pauline Bremer, via a deflection, puts the home side in front in this crucial top-of-the-table clash. It's a four-pass straight to Stanway. Put it back from white we'll let it run on for walsh walsh's delivery is a great one and the header is in from lauren hemp for two what a start to the second half of manchester city don't, 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 don't. now here's mead and Mark. this is her opportunity to impact the game it's a great ball in and a good save from roebuck to deny mead but the follow-up is in danny van der donk turns it home and arsenal are back in it Look my way. And there it is, Nick Cushing bows out in style, a huge victory against the reigning champions and one of their biggest rivals in the title race.
1: a very fitting song isn't it <laughs> uh, and they certainly won't forget about us hopefully Lindsay uh, and also Nick Cushing let's move on to our first game it's his final game in charge of Manchester City and it ended just as the script well his draft of it anyway said it should a 2-1 win at home to Arsenal who incidentally had knocked them out of the Conti Cup by the same scoreline just a few days before City went 2-0 up after goals from Paulina Bremer and Lauren Hemp Arsenal, despite some great chances in the second half, could only reply once. Daniela van der Donk scooping up on the rebound, a game carry that had so much riding on it. Nick Cushing said goodbye with a win. Did Arsenal say goodbye to their chances in the title race? Um,
0: I think it's a probably a bit early to rule them out completely, but they've certainly done themselves some damage. These two matches against Chelsea and Manchester City. I was talking to Tim Stillman by text at the Chelsea game at, at Meadow Park. Who is Park. the Blog, Arsenal women's football expert. Absolutely. From across the pitch. So I was on the, <laughs> I, I the opposite stand. He was in the press box. And I was saying, I don't understand why Arsenal have sat back. And they've tried to kind of adapt their game to their opposition. And I would rather have seen them go out... You know, fighting challenge Man City and Chelsea to you know adapt to Miedema and to Mead and Van der Donk and their threat rather than trying to nullify the threat that the other side poses but yeah
2: not good stuff. And is is that what was on show for Manchester City was that fight because of course it was Nick Cushing's farewell it's swan song but as well as being that Caroline Weir who I thought was an instrumental player in this match she'd signed that new contract and it's as if she came on and said look I've got that contract. I'm here. That free kick delivery, which we've seen from her so many mm. times, exquisite. It's one of my pet peeves when people have a set ball situation and they can't pass the first defender or the first first player. But she is so good at those deliveries.
0: Oh, she is. I mean, she, she's a fantastic player. I mean, I love watching her, or always have. And yeah, you're right. I think there's a certain amount of uh, of motivation for her at the moment because obviously it's going to be an entire new era at Manchester City, one that we. Haven't seen in the WSL before. It's going be, to be interesting. It'll isn't be it? fascinating.
1: Uh, so, Palina Bremer are really clinical in front of goal after that uh, great free kick from Caroline Weir. City's second from Lauren Hemp was ahead. a header. Great ball again, Kira Walsh. Again, you know, pinpoint precision. They've got it sorted, haven't it very, very clinical like that. Found Lauren. The Arsenal goal as well. Well, they. they Basically, DVD could have got a second. It went right across mm. the face of goal, didn't it? So Roebuck had saved from Beth Mead. Um, DVD got in on the rebound. Um, she scored against City midweek in that Conti Cup semi final as well. DVD unlucky not to get another. But Miedemar had a chance. But as just a general, what's happened to Vivian Medemar since she broke all those scoring records? She just hasn't appeared to have been as clinical. I think partly it's
0: because you know every striker is going to go through a couple of games where they're, where they're not scoring regularly but she hasn't had the service they haven't been set up to just feed Miedemar and let her do what she does best she's been kind of isolated or she's been trying to track back and get the ball for herself which is never a great thing for a centre forward to have to do
2: Also, credit to Manchester City they know the threat that Miedemar is and they were doubling up a, a lot of this match they knew exactly what she could bring she didn't have very much space at all to operate in and that's the one thing that she sort of Needs to thrive off.
0: No, absolutely. And Chelsea did the same thing. But then you would also think that then gives other players the chance to. Yes, somebody else should be using that space. Someone should be stepping up and not leaving it just to Miedemar to score those goals. Perhaps Mm. um, there's a little bit of complacency there. I don't know.
1: It also heats up, of course, the top scorer charts. If we're just talking about uh, Miedemar quickly, she's on 14 for the league. Beth England's on 12. Paulina Bremer is on 10. What was so different then between what happened in the Conti Cup semi final and what happened in this game in terms? of the way Arsenal approached it. What went so wrong for them, Carrie?
0: I honestly don't know if I knew that I I would have a much better pay job than I do I don't think Joe Montemuro knew either he
2: seemed very angsty for him in in the post-match interviews I think that's a frustration thing isn't it when people are like I just don't understand it
0: worries me a bit when Joe Montemuro looks a little bit kind of angsty and shifty shifty and not quite (laughs) sure what's happening because he's so laid back and Aussie about everything usually and that makes you just think yes he's not quite sure where the game plan didn't go right after the Chelsea game he said that he would Set up, and he was wrong, and he'd he'd made the mistakes, and I was kind of thinking, well, did you leave it too long to then make a change? If you recognise that your setup was wrong, why didn't you do something to change that? Yeah. And I don't know whether it's partly a squad issue. Obviously, we've talked before about Arsenal's squad being slightly smaller yeah. than other people's, and they've got a few injuries at the moment, carrying a few knocks. And he's obviously looking to bring in more players kind of ready for next season, more Australians,
1: I hear. But, um, but they need to not lose the grip on this season. This you know, it. I watched a little clip on Insta of Women's Match Day show who who spoke to Joe Montemuro afterwards. And the first question was, What did you think of the game? And Joe just simply said, Well, you watched it. <laughs> yeah. oh, I was like, Oh, lovely. Oh. Step back. Um, Champions League places, you know, this is a big one for me look it's really hard to look past Manchester City and Chelsea the way Arsenal are going
0: yeah um, obviously it's only the start of February but in terms of kind of matches left it's not very many is it, Was it eight? eight
1: I think it's eight yeah. left yeah so not a lot at all Lindsay, we should talk about the great departure of uh, Mr Cushing, shouldn't we? Yes, because you talk about the Champions League places and I think that comes into play
2: because how are Manchester City going to cope when he's gone? He's left a a brilliant legacy and he he seems to imply that he's left everything in place. At the moment, the club is saying, you know, interim charge, it's going to be the uh, Cushing's assistant at the moment, who's former Tranmere and Republic of Ireland midfielder Alan Mahon, and he'll take over. Uh, for now now whether that's going to be that he's going to be bred in and bought through but how do Manchester City go from this point on once Nick has left I think that's a huge part of this story I mean he's spoken about how the last five games it's felt like he split up with his girlfriend but still been living with her
1: <laughs> which I, I thought was a which great was
2: a brilliant quote. quote
0: oh that's awesome um yeah it's going to be fascinating to see how the City squad respond Because I think this is going to be both uh, a massive loss for City, but also a great opportunity for whoever takes over. It's going to be a
1: great opportunity. I don't think that Mahan or Mahan, however you pronounce him, is going to be the man. There's been various rumours swirling around. A couple of weeks ago, Gian Ellis was being mentioned a lot That's all died down. That would surprise me if I'm being completely honest. Who do we know about who's being talked about for this role? Because it all appears to have gone a bit quiet by my reckoning.
0: It has gone very quiet. I mean, I I can't see City necessarily going to get a big name because I think Lindsay's right, they would want to get someone who's going to look at everything kind of top down, bottom up and make sure there's that kind of culture and create something that's going to be their own legacy. They're going to get someone who's going to have time to mould this city club and this city Mm. squad in their own image. So it's going to be maybe someone less high profile. That's just a guess. I've got no idea.
2: I don't think you'll have anyone new until the end of the season now I think that's really? it I think he'll be interim manager to see out this campaign and we'll see you know the the seeds that have been sown by Nick how long that lasts for how much he can nurture that through mm. because it's it's going to be all the way to the end of the season for these Champions League places and that battle for Arsenal certainly isn't over I think because mm. of that um, Scotland midfielder Caroline Weir we spoke about her and this contract extension so two years she's extended at City 4 and that means that at 24 years old I mean she's just right in the prime of it isn't she to stay mm there and maybe stay there even in, even longer term i'm sure they'd want to keep hold of her
1: just as a quick aside as well um nick cushing has come out and not ruled out um setting up a women's team at new york city so just a quick one on nick cushing i think personally he's there to do as he's done at manchester city build a women's side and add new york into the mix in terms of the nwsl quite possibly
0: um, obviously uh, nwsl works on the whole franchising Mm. system so it's possible that that could happen at some time in the next next few years yeah I guess it's it's, it's, it's a watch this space yeah
2: on to the demolition that was Chelsea West Ham next. Wow. <laughs> wow. Uh, they did demolish West Ham 8-0 at Kings Meadow and maintain their unbeaten run in the league, dominating from start to finish. So two apiece for Mary Mielder. Beth England also got two. So Emma Hayes said that her team spirits were the best that she'd ever known at the club. I suppose at 8-0 they're going to be pretty high. <laughs> um, on the opposite side of the coin, Matt Beard questioned his future at West Ham and gave a real frank interview afterwards well first I guess with the total football we saw from Chelsea in this game the main thing to point out is that this was a Chelsea side that didn't have Sam Kerr in it no G either which are two integral parts of that team does that
0: show this West Ham side up even further by them being missing no I don't think so I mean Chelsea's squad is just has has so much strength and depth I mean, if you're sticking eight past West Ham, you're sticking four past Arsenal, this lot are cruising high on a wave of confidence and they look like they're coming into proper form across the squad uh, Mm. just at the right time. They've kind of sat there, sat back on the shoulders of Arsenal the first couple of months of the season and now as we get to the business end they're looking amazing. They
1: are looking amazing. Two goals up in 12 minutes. Let's just run through a little bit of the action. Uh, Obviously we've heard about the two for Beth England, two for Maram Yelda. Then there was three goals uh, in less than 10 minutes so 52 minutes there was one from Erin Cuthbert which we have to pick out by the way because it was a superb goal great movement on the ball from Erin Cuthbert left foot into the bottom corner um, so integral to this Chelsea team is Erin. In the 56 minutes, uh, a second from Beth England we had Maren Mielder's second as well and in the final minutes you had that absolute riot again. Ramona Backman scored the seventh and then for the eighth Emily Murphy You mentioned her in last week's podcast 16 years old. In the last two weeks she scored her debut goal. She's an academy graduate for Chelsea. She scored her debut senior goal for the club in the Conti Cup in the FA Cup. That was a couple what of weekends ago. And in the WSL and Emma Hayes is really really keen on her and I don't blame her playing a 16-year-old in pretty much all of your games in the last few weeks mm. and for her to score so consistently as well. How exciting.
0: Yeah. I mean there's a couple of things I'd want to say on that. I mean, if First of all, I want to say how amazing I think it is that we're now talking about playing 16-year-olds as something incredible when 15 years ago we would have had plenty of 16-year-olds <laughs> in, our, in, in our top flight. But also Emma Hayes, obviously she's got her big name signings, but then she does bring her Academy graduates through. There is that kind of network there. Erin Cuthbert now, obviously we talk about her a lot and she's you know established at international level. She was signed as, as a teenager herself. I think she was 17 when she came down and Emma Hayes been watching her for a while. So, again, Emma Hayes, much like Nick Cushing, had the opportunity to do, is creating this club uh, in her own image, taking it top down, making sure that she has um, a next generation coming through and making sure yeah. she's not reliant on spending all that money and just on the big names.
2: Anyone watching from the sidelines, someone please tell me, because I, I wasn't at King's Meadow for this one, but does Emma Hayes, does she issue the the order to sort of now go for it, now go up three gears, go for it for a little bit, then lay back again? Because it, it does feel, I think you've written this actually, Kate, that it came in, waves of attacks it does feel like it's waves of, of of this just absolute
1: go for it and then they sit back for a while and then they go again do you think that's the actual order I think so. I think, I mean, Chelsea were relentless with this and and just West Ham never had a single footing in it at all. But I think when it comes to patterns of play and organisation, Emma Hayes is really, really good at this. All the work that goes on back at Cobham, back at the training base in terms of phases of play. Yes, I absolutely think so. And you'll note because of the variety of goal scorers in this game, that it's not just based around one or two players, it's based around the whole squad. So you've got that first 15 minutes, two goals up, you've got Got the fifty to sixty five minutes, you've got another what, three or four goals in that period, and then in the final ten minutes as well. So absolutely, I think it's about whenever they get into the positions, of course, going for goal. But I absolutely think so. If you're West Ham, rather than an all-out assault from Chelsea, which you might not be able to maintain for the whole game, how scary they're like, oh my God, Chelsea, Chelsea are going for it again. And it is, it's, it's that like they've hit the boost button. of wave <laughs> yeah. and wave and that is that is more demoralising than if someone's just going all out attack at you. If you're just, you're constantly waiting for the next tidal wave to arrive. Yeah, and I think the the face of Julie Flaherty at the end. Oh, what, what, oh she's she Yeah,
2: I've not seen her look so destroyed. Yeah. And this is a really experienced defender trying to just steward that back line. It was so difficult. And it did feel like a mismatch. It did feel like teams in completely different leagues, if I'm being honest. Yeah. Matt Beard's comments afterwards so that the flip side of this is that he comes out as manager trying to execute a game plan that just did not go his way at all the thing that I sympathize with him is that I agree with him when he says that there have been glimpses with West Ham there have been glimpses of the side that he wants them to be but why why isn't he getting success week in week out with them
0: I don't think you can kind of pin too much on this match. It's going to have to be one of the ones that you kind of cast off to experience. They can't think about this anymore. You can't go back to the training ground and think, you how can't. could we have done better against Chelsea who stuck mm. eight passes? Because yeah. that is just
1: going to destroy you psychologically. Well, let's just hear exactly what Matt Beard said after the game.
4: It's embarrassing, to be perfectly honest with you. These results shouldn't happen at this level. And, you know, maybe I have to start questioning, you know, maybe, maybe I'm, I, am I the right person for this job? Because... You know, I'm obviously not getting a response from the players at the moment. You know, it's, it's a frustrating afternoon and disappointing afternoon.
1: Carrie, you know, questioning his future at the club there, over-emotional or do you think he's seriously considering this?
0: I don't see how it, it... It could possibly be both. I mean, after a defeat like that, you are going to be emotional. I would imagine it would have some kind of impact on you. But I think... Yeah, I mean, if you've been working all season, and as Lindsay's is saying, there's glimpses of what you want to do, but it's just not coming. Mm. I mean, how much longer are you going to throw good time off bad? bat?
1: He's also squarely blamed the players, perhaps more strongly than I've heard him this season. He has said, the players aren't doing what I need them to do. Well, the players are going to know that, though,
0: aren't they? And perhaps it's an effort to kind of use reverse psychology Mm. on them, trying to G them up, trying to kind of show them, if this doesn't happen, then I'm going to be gone. Who knows what's going to happen next? I don't know. This is going to be interesting to see what
1: happens there, too. Well, next up, an 80th minute, Farrah Williams' penalty rescued. Reading a point in a one all draw with Manchester United. Mary Earps had saved a Williams spot kit 15 minutes earlier after Lauren James had given United the lead on the half-hour mark. But the big talking point was a handball that wasn't. Who saw it? We all saw
2: it. This has just been doing the rounds. I cannot believe. It was just a a clear
1: error. There was no VAR, is it, isn't it debate on this one. It was most definitely... Not a handball. It was a head ball. It was off her head,
0: <laughs> literally her head.
2: But you Ahead. know, but you know what makes this even more definitive is the fact that in women's football, as we know, there aren't multi-camera angles. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's very poor to be able to see from just a camera angle. But it is as clear as day on the one shot that they've managed to get that this just no, goes nowhere near her hands. No, and the positioning
1: of the referee. I have to say. They should have spotted yeah. that. No. The so, positioning was right, but the decision was wrong. For anyone who hasn't seen it, pop onto social media. It's basically <laughs> um, Katie Zellum. Was, well, just imagine um, it. It comes off her head. There yes, we go. Yes, yes. Katie Zellum's uh, hand was, in fact, not her hand, but her head. Um, the referee clearly getting it wrong on this one.
0: Free kick. Will it be Potter or Williams to take it? Left foot. Potter. Bounces up and away from Zellum. The referee has decided that was a handball.
2: So we had that big moment of controversy allowing Reading to level. Um, but I think we should speak to one of the goal scorers. In fact, we've spoken about this player so much this season because she is still doing it at the top of her game. Let's introduce Farrah Williams to the show. Farrah, first of all, what on earth do you have for breakfast? Because I think all of us in the <laughs> studio want to
4: know. Do you know what? I'm really boring. Scrambled egg. Um, if I'm having an off day and if it's a double session, I'd have it with toast. But that's, so the, pretty thing. Boring. that's the thing. There
2: aren't many off days in the world of Farrah Williams, are there? Uh,
4: no, we do. We have two. We have a Monday and a Friday. So, oh, OK. <laughs> <laughs> two days of there. Uh, I, I see where you were going with that. I see where you were going with that.
1: just just for me, tell us about you enjoying your football. You've been in the game. I mean, lindy and i've been chatting to you for so many years now but just tell us what it's like for you as a senior player you've been in and around the game for so long what's it like playing at the moment is this the most enjoyable ever period of your career or perhaps was it better in the bigger
4: badder darker days do you know what it's, it's different uh, i really enjoyed my early days and you know having to fight for what what we wanted back then uh yeah, it was real motivating every day, you know, having to wake up and 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 real we'll fight. But it's also really nice now that, you know, you get up and and you have the luxuries of being able to train every day. So, yeah, it's really nice the way the game's gone. It, it's moved, you know, at a nice pace. We haven't, you know, jumped too far ahead. I mean, the fact that we get to go out and and play in front of, you know, more than more than a hundred people <laughs> every weekend is it, it, exciting. It, it's certainly something that that motivates the players and makes us train harder and you know want to certainly do our best for the fans. Being at Reading now, can I just
2: get your reaction to, to how you have suddenly stepped up to be not only this leader on the pitch, we know that you're an excellent coach as well on the sidelines too, but in terms of scoring important goals and being that player that can actually win matches, you seem to enjoy that role rather than sometimes, you know, if, if I look back at your Arsenal days where there was so much competition towards the end of your career, I suppose, um, to get game time. Are you enjoying this, that, that you're having that responsibility here?
4: Yeah I think you know throughout my career I remember it very early on with Mo and Hope and them telling me about the potential that I had and you know back then I only really had Hope on the international scene where I'd get coached in terms of actual detail and, and you know I've got very good tactical detail from, from Hope when I was in the England team and my coaches along the way didn't probably give me that much detail in terms of me as a player and putting time and effort and yeah, Arsenal was a struggle for, for for loads of different reasons. No excuses for for my time there, but certainly at Reading, I believe the coaches there. You know, one thing they promised me when I went and spoke to them before signing was they believed there was potential that I had that I hadn't been tapped into, and that they would bring out the best in me. And I and I really do believe that. You know, they've invested some great time in me, along with me obviously wanting to to improve. And they've certainly brought a different side out to my game, a more attacking side. And yeah, I'm really enjoying it.
0: So you're talking about the coaches at Reading, kind of tapping potential. Does that kind of surprise you? you, kind of got to this point in your career where you are the senior pro? I mean, did you think that there was more to come or has this been kind of a bit of a shock that you've got this different side to your game?
4: No, I certainly thought I had potential. I thought, I you know, I was a very good reader of the game. I thought there was technical details that probably I didn't understand how to use them within games at times and would get caught in possession of the ball. Yeah, I mean, the technical detail that I get in terms of how I take the ball how I play the passes, etc. From from joining Reading is, yeah, I mean, I've never had coaching like this throughout my whole career. The only one regret is I wish I got it earlier. You know, mm-hmm. I got it at 33, so a little bit late in terms of, you know, really trying to get the best out of me. I just, you know, when I speak to the coaches, I do say to them, you know, I wish I had you early. And if I could encourage, encourage any young player, you know, if you want to get better, I truly believe the coaches at Reading, certainly in terms of individual staff, will, will make you a much better player.
2: That's so brilliant to hear. In all your time playing, Farrah, let's talk about this game at the weekend because not many of us have seen this uh, this area of controversy to do with
4: the handball that wasn't.
2: How close were you to that, and what were your thoughts at the time?
4: Do you know what? I didn't. To be honest, in terms of the penalty, I didn't see it. I thought the refereeing at the weekend, and not just the weekend. I think you know throughout the WSL this year, certainly been below par in my opinion. You know, I think. Their goal, the free kick that led to their goal, certainly in my opinion, if you watch it back, was not a free kick. Mm. So we're on the edge of their box pressing them and they've given a free kick for absolutely nothing. So I think if you look back at that, they've been given a free kick where, where it was never a free kick. A penalty it probably never was. I think it's come off their head, hasn't it? I mean, mm. I didn't see it. I mean, you can see from the reactions of the players that nobody appealed that yeah. yeah. So that would tell the referee a little bit about whether it was or it wasn't. I'm not going to say to her, no, referee, it's not a handball if she gives it, because I just missed the penalty. The chance to get a second chance is very rare within a game. And, yeah, I was able to obviously put the first wrong right. But, yeah, certainly the official in at the weekend and, and in, in WSL games this season hasn't been good enough. What needs to
1: happen, Farah? You're an experienced head. You're a reasonable person. What needs to happen to put this right for a league that is now 100% professional?
4: Do you know what? I can't tell you the answers. And for a short period of time, I've actually been captain at, at Reading this season with uh, Tash Harding being injured. And you go into the officials room beforehand and you say, you know, we'll talk to players, we'll talk to captains and if we can give you reasoning. And they just don't. They don't. So I feel like you go into there, you hear the same stuff week in, week out and, and they don't want to cooperate with you on the pitch. They don't want to help you out. They don't want to try and calm players' frustration because... You know, it's, it's competitive. People work hard every single day now, and even harder than they probably did, you know, 10 years ago to try and make this game the game that everybody wants to see. But I feel like they're ruining people's games and, and players are getting frustrated. And, and, you know, people, especially in our team, you know, we have a, we have players, very hot-headed players, and, and Man United do so. I mean, some of the injuries and marks and scars that people come off with from the game yesterday. I mean, I have a big one myself on my leg. through poor officialing. Mm. And I don't really know how to change that. I don't know. I mean, obviously, there is another level. I don't know if they can bring that next level of officials into our game. It could be a cost thing. I'm, not, I'm unsure what it is, but certainly the level right now, I believe, and, and, and I'm sure a lot of managers and players believe, isn't good enough.
2: I don't think anyone can put it better than you just did, Farah. So thank you very much for putting that so brilliantly. Um, let's talk about uh, next for Reading then, because you're six in the table and next up you've got Bristol City away.
4: Ambitions to, to try and climb even higher? Yeah, I mean, we we always try and set out every season, you know, uh, try and go as far as we can within a, a cup. I think, you know, if we get last year, we got to a semi-final, the FA Cup, we're hoping to push on from that. I feel, you know, on our day with the right tactics and if we can execute them, we can beat anybody or at least give them a, a game. And I think we proved that against Arsenal in the County Cup uh, quarterfinals, only losing 1-0 in the 89th minute. Um, so that was an uh, ambition. And, and to finish fourth or, or thereabouts, so fourth or fifth finish would be, You know, a good season for us below the likes of Man City, Chelsea and Arsenal, which, you know, as a league, shows that they're miles ahead of everybody else in terms of points, in terms of quality. So, yeah, we know where we're at and finishing fourth or fifth would be a successful season for us. This is the Offside
3: Rule WSL edition from Muddy Knees Media.
2: We heard excellently from Farrah Williams there, but there is, of course, another side to every tale. So let's hear what the Manchester United angle was on that handball that wasn't.
4: I don't really want to focus on the negatives, really, because I think the negatives are stuff that's out of our control. I don't think it was a penalty. And uh, I mean, I feel like that's the consensus that it wasn't. So it is what it is. Um, And so that's robbed us of two points, two extra points that we could have had.
1: Mary Earps there for Manchester United. Millie Turner, another player uh, of theirs, uh, retweeted a video of the incident. I saw this on Twitter with the comment, all week we work and prepare so hard. We give everything on the pitch and we get decisions like this. We deserve better and our fans deserve better. It's ruining our game.
0: I talked about refereeing quite a lot uh, in my recent book, The Pride of the Lionesses, and I talked to the head of refereeing for WSL. Um, She very kindly gave me quite a lot of time. And the long-term plan, which Farah kind of touched on, they do want to have a full-time group of professional referees operating just in the WSL. It's what the FA want, it's what they've said that the league deserves, but at the moment there just aren't the right staff to form that group. And that's partly, I think, as I understand it, because of money, because and the professional game match officials who support the Premier League in terms of officiating, that's funded by the Premier League, by the EFL and by the FA. Are the clubs in WSL at the moment in a financial position yes. to then no, be not. able to do that? Yeah. So
1: I think, again, we're back to investment in women's football. It's mm. this top line investment, which is brilliant, but it's not connecting the whole way through. And It's joining I the think, dots yeah. and making yeah. women's think, football um, a
0: fully professional yeah, venture. Top to bottom, players, coaches, officiating, yeah. marketing, everything. It isn't just about the headlines, folks, is it?
2: In other Manchester United news, they have handed winger Leah Goulton a new contract that keeps her at the club until the end of the 2021 season, uh, with a further 12-month option on the deal as well. So she's got six goals in 34 games for United.
0: Good to get her for longer? Yeah, I I would say so. I think uh, her progress this season has been so impressive.
1: Well she's coming into her own as a player She's really been backed by Casey Stoney I love Leah Goulton She's she's really exciting And if, if she can stay injury free She will be such a big part of that Man United team Well, a bit of a surprise and ultimately a
2: very welcome one for Brighton next. They beat Everton 1-0. Aileen Whelan got the goal against her former club in the first 45 minutes and Brighton survived a better second half from Everton and held on to that victory. So after the match, Brighton manager Hope Powell, who we heard Farrah Williams talking about earlier, actually praised her side for sticking to the game plan.
1: Yeah, excellent defending by Brighton, particularly in the first half. They pressed high, uh, forcing Everton to keep having to play back to their goalkeeper, Sandy McIver. Uh, Lots of chances for Brighton in in the first half. Pretty much started from the first minute of the game. and I was really pleased to see this from them. Did come back a bit in the second half, uh, Everton. Team came close to scoring in the 76th minute. Hannah Kane denied by Megan Walsh. It just wasn't Everton's day. They were all out of sorts, really. Everton remain Fifth, The win sees Brighton stay ninth, but such a crucial win for them. They're now five points clear of Birmingham in 10th, who do have a couple of games in hand. Full disclosure on that one. But in terms of cementing their safety in the WSL, this will go a long way. And a quick mention on the attendance for this one, because it was a decent one, Kate. Yeah, 830 at this game. Really good attendances all round this weekend. There might have only been four matches, but we had record crowds um, for kind of non-men's stadium fixtures at Manchester City and also at Reading as well. So some key fixtures of note. If we take the season as a whole, just to recap on that one, um, the season average so far is 2,263. If you take out the games played in the men's stadiums, it's just over 1,500. So attendances are looking healthy. It's good tell you what's not looking
2: healthy. Some of the pitches oh my God. are going to bring you on to this now. Liverpool against Birmingham postponed. Liverpool women are going to explore all options to address the ongoing problems with their pitch at Prenton Park, says their chairman Peter Moore. Uh, the surface was ruled unplayable again. You only need to see some pictures on, on Twitter and social media to see that it really was unplayable. Uh, Liverpool also had to call off their WSL home game against Manchester United on the 12th of January. Since then, Tranmere Rovers' men's side have played four home games at the ground in the space of 12 days I think it's worth adding that on the back of it we're going to bring in Carrie to do with all these postponements I know it's something you feel very strongly about
0: <laughs> I really do um that pitch has been terrible for months Emma Hayes complained about it before Christmas yeah and she got slated in the tabloid press she got it a stain on their club she did she said she, 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 she the quality is a stain on their football club she said I don't disagree with her. I mean, the point is, is that if you're playing professional football, you need to professional facilities. We've talked mm-hmm. about this a million, zillion times. Yes, I get that the men are playing on it, but to then expect the women to be playing on this cut-up surface that's kind of got bags of sand poured on it. Yes, I know people played on pitches like that in the 70s. It's not the 1970s anymore. <laughs> Come no. on, we deserve better. And look- the
2: players themselves are starting to actually be quite vocal about it. Rachel Furness went on Twitter. She said, look, not good enough for league." Yeah, um, and I think that she's just one of many that have now followed suit I think the FA we approached them to come on to talk about the, the state of the pitch they have sent a statement and turned us down for an interview today but they said we are aware of the issues relating to the quality of some pitches used for Barclays FA Women's Super League matches we will continue to work with those clubs affected and the relevant ground owners to help identify viable solutions going forward but I think the key to that is what are those viable solutions
1: yeah, and, and, and you know, as a Liverpool fan myself, they are going to have to they basically cannot play at Prenton Park. That's it. For me, that is not an option now. It it, it actually looked like an amateur speedway track. There is there's so much sand on it. It's not just playing on sand, by the way, it's the effect that when you kick a ball, the mm. sand flies in your face. Mm. So you you know, literally like being caught in a sandstorm at various yeah. parts of the games. Look For me, Liverpool need to make that change immediately. It's worth saying that so far this season, six games have been postponed due to waterlogged pitches or unplayable surfaces. Of course, we saw also the postponement for Tottenham, who were due to play Bristol City as well, postponed at 10.15 in the morning on Sunday. My point about that is a lot of fans would have already been on the road. That was
0: very late, but I live not too far from the hive and it poured with rain overnight. And I looked to the back garden at probably half past eight on Sunday morning. I was like, I can't even walk from one end of the garden to the other without falling over. Which is fair enough, but is it good enough? It's not. It's not good enough. And obviously the hive is experiencing very, very heavy usage now. Obviously London Bees are playing there too, as well as Tottenham, as well as Barnet. So again, if you're increasing the usage of these pitches, there probably needs to be additional investment in the facilities there in terms of drainage, in terms of reseeding, in terms of rest days, because we cannot carry on like this.
2: OK, well, let's remind everyone where we stand in the league table then before we come on to some Conti Cup uh, reflections. Manchester City are top of the table with a one-point advantage over Chelsea, but Emma Hayes' side crucially have that game in hand. Another two points behind are Arsenal who've suffered back-to-back damaging defeats at the hands of different title rivals. And down at the bottom, it's three sides who look to be getting cut adrift. Bristol City and Liverpool both sit on six points. they both only played 12 games with neither side featuring this weekend and then seven points at Birmingham, who now have three games to make up that deficit, and then a five point gap to Brighton, who picked up that massive win for them over Everton. The thing is, with all of this and with these postponements, is that you can't really judge this table at the moment, can you? Because only three of the 12 teams in the league have played all 14 games. It's not all as it seems. <laughs> uh,
1: so just scrap what you've just said.
0: Okay. We'll just gain some time back. Still, everyone. <laughs> well, it is, but I, again, there's a serious point here. I mean, I, when I was writing The Roar of the Lionesses, I was following a lot of National League um, then the Premier League sides around and they were finding the same things but they were having like two months worth of fixtures postponed they were literally not playing from before Christmas to the middle of February ridiculous in every sense which is ridiculous but you can kind of understand it when you're playing on you know parks or public facilities we're seeing the same thing happen Mm. in the top flight of women's elite professional football and it's not good enough
1: We've mentioned those Conti Cup results already, but just to get Carrie's take on this Manchester City losing 2 1 to Arsenal and Chelsea winning 1 0 away to Manchester United. Carrie. It's going to be a tasty old final,
0: isn't it? I think, strangely enough, I think Arsenal are going to go in as the underdogs now, despite the Conti Cup being a a trophy that they have won so much in recent years. Um, Yeah, everyone heading up from London to Nottingham. That'll be great. (laughs) Let's hope the trains are running that day, lads. Yeah, brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) Talking about reactions, though, inside.
2: So Emma Hayes, who'd said that about this team spirit performance against West Ham, that 8-0 win, it was the best she'd ever seen. After the 1-0 win at Manchester United, she said, I thought we were terrible. One of the worst performances I've seen this season, but it was winning football. So she's clearly got a reaction from her players after that and can afford to be so damning.
1: I don't think
0: it's necessarily damning. I think that's actually quite a reassuring thing for both Emma Hayes and Chelsea. If you can win when you're playing terribly, mm. that is yeah. a sign of a side that who is going would, to pick
1: up trophies. Who would want to come up against Chelsea at the moment? That Conti Cup final, by the way, played on Saturday, 29th of February. Not every year you get a 29th of February, <laughs> making it a special one this time. Uh, Let's look at next weekend's fixtures because there are three really standout ones here. We'll scoot through these. Arsenal come up against Tottenham. Manchester United play Chelsea. Then we've got the Merseyside derby. Um, Really looking forward to, to that one. Birmingham play Brighton and Bristol City play Reading and West Ham play Manchester City. Carrie, tell us which one sings to you. Oh,
0: North London derby. I'm sorry. I'm really hyped for that. I'm also quite hyped it's not at the Emirates because I think a lot of people have been saying, you know, there's gonna be lots of ticket demand why aren't Arsenal switching like Totten Switch the reverse fixture. I think a packed out Meadow Park is actually quite an exciting place to be, so yes, hope for that one. Hopefully for me, um Arsenal can get back to winning ways and we can see a Fully firing, fully fit, Vienna. Amedema playing yes. again.
2: This is where I am starting to get really sad because we're talking about next weekend's fixtures and we're not going
1: to be able no. to talk about it. About the Merseyside derby, the North London derby. Anyway. I don't like going out like this. No. Uh, Manchester United, Chelsea as well. Look, let's just see if Chelsea can keep this going and how will Manchester United come back after that draw? Any other business next? Oh, I'm fed up of reading of these stories to do with ACL injuries.
2: It's unreal. And then we've seen journalists look into this further it's a real problem in women's football at the moment and terrible news for Bristol City who've got two more ACL injuries Megan Sargent and Elise Hughes um, they suffered tears to their anterior cruciate ligament both injuries sustained during Bristol City women's uh, clash with Liverpool last weekend
1: yeah uh, a big issue is uh, maybe just start with the with you know female especially designed football boots for women perhaps
0: this is ridiculous I mean I know that there's lots of research going on now and there's certain amounts of media interest There have been plenty of papers published in the past 20 years about exercise at different points of the month for women and how it affects ligaments and muscles. I don't understand, again, why those dots haven't been joined and how it hasn't been applied to female contact sports previously Mm. because clearly there is something not quite right with some of the loading some of the personalized training programs perhaps obviously some acl injuries are going to be just pure sheer bad luck Mm. and you're never going to be able to rule those out but the amount we're seeing is very very troubling
2: needs more science involved in it but there's there's someone defying science kate
1: (laughs) (laughs) this would be christine sinclair Canada legend. Uh, She's beaten the goal-scoring record in men's and women's international football. So she's just gone ahead of retired American Abby Wambach on 185 goals after scoring twice in the first 23 minutes uh, as Canada beat St Kitts and Nevis 11-0 in an Olympics qualifier. She's 36, by the way. Christine Sinclair, such a good role model for the game. Uh, She was making her 290th international appearance rounding off any other business I was on fighting talk at the weekend with Phil
2: Brown who's been managing out in India he's now out of a job that's why he was probably on fighting talk again (laughs) (laughs) but anyway um, he was talking about this to me and it's brilliant news Rangers new signing Baladevi has become India's first female professional footballer and he was just saying how much they're investing in it and that that is an area of growth over there that they're really wanting to produce uh, more professional women's footballers Devi's 29 she's joined the Scottish club from Manipur Police Sports Club on an 18-month deal. Uh, she was India's top scorer. Well, she is India's top scorer. And um, I think that's some some groundbreaking news there because it could potentially change uh, the concept of women's football in an entire country, couldn't it, by that that one move?
0: Yeah, it, it's fantastic. I, I really loved that story when I saw it. I love the pictures of her as yeah, well. Yeah, really good. No, I think it's fantastic to see the growth of women's football globally and... Again, it's the the same kind of proviso. Let's just hope that continues and it's not just a one-off and that's kind of followed up and there's money and infrastructure there to support it.
1: Well, that rounds up another show from us. Our last show for now, we hope it's not goodbye forever, Lindsay. We want to try and do a couple of specials before the end of the WSL season, um, activated around the major competitions. And also, look, next season we really want to put this right as well. So Mm. let's see what happens. For now, Big things on the
2: horizon. There's an Olympics and there's a Euros. next year. And, you know, you never know. We may get a saviour come in for us. Um, Head over to the website, offsiderallpodcast.com, for all of the latest shows and articles, which includes on there, Martin Whiteley's roundup of the women's game on the continent.
1: Yeah, we want to say a big thank you, not just to Carrie, who's been in the studio with us for this monumental podcast, but we want to say thank you to everyone who's supported us, that's listened, that's our guys behind the scenes as well all the journalists that we've spoken to who've sent in audio, who've done us favours by getting in touch with us and making sure that we give you a really comprehensive view of what's going on in the WSL and beyond. We hope we've done it some service and we really really hope that we're back doing it again with you soon we do and thank
2: you very much as well to the split time that we've had from two producers Abby and Lucy who've put their all into the show
1: as well and definitely deserve a mention before we bow out yeah and Muddy Knees Media as well who've backed the show um, up to this point and we'll continue searching and hoping that we can um, get it backed and ready to bring you back in the future thanks listeners we will speak to you again hopefully very soon you've been listening to the Offside Rule WSL edition
2: Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales
0: at And for more from the Offside Rule, head to our website, offsiderulepodcast.com.
3: Muddy Knees Media.